Thanks for listening to one of the audio messages from Cornerstone Church Airdrie. My name is Brad, and I'm the lead campus pastor and primary preaching voice here at Cornerstone Church Airdrie. We believe that the God who spoke so clearly all through the pages of Scripture is still speaking to his kids today. So if it's me who's speaking to you or someone else on this recording, as you listen, we pray that you would know God, know his hope, know his purpose, and know his power. Enjoy the message. All the things I do to feel young, they only make me old. But you raise me like this week we're going to be looking at a portion of scripture found in Matthew chapter 27. So if you have your Bibles or your Bible apps or your Bible websites or however it is that you like to read scripture, I'll invite you to, to join me in Matthew chapter 27. But before we dive into the text for today, I want to just give you an update on what has happened in the context of our story since last week, since, since we were last reading through Matthew chapter 26. Last Sunday, we left off with Jesus being arrested in the garden. And while that was happening, Peter was denying Jesus three times. And from that place, Jesus is brought to a, a trial. It's really a sham of a trial that takes place in the middle of the night. It actually gives almost too much dignity to call it a trial that Jesus has before these Jewish leaders. It, it was more like an exam that Jesus was given that only guaranteed his failure. They brought two, two charges against Jesus. One was a completely false charge, but one of them was a true charge. According to Old Testament law, in order to bring charges against someone, you had to have two witnesses. And so in order to bring about the false charge, they needed to have two people willing to say Jesus did it or, or that Jesus said it. And so they charged Jesus with being a terrorist. They said, ultimately, Jesus was going to blow up the temple. Um, that Jesus said, I'm going to destroy the temple and then I'm going to rebuild it and, and again. Of course, Jesus never said that. Jesus never said he was going to destroy the temple. He predicted that it would be destroyed, but, but not by Jesus. So there's this weird, twisted, false charge. But even more significant than that is the true charge that, that Jesus doesn't deny. And it's this charge that's going to be brought up before Pilate. And, and the charge is that Jesus thinks he's a king. And, and so I need to take a moment before we jump into our text today and to help us all understand sort of how all of this is working, because it, it's maybe a little different than what we would anticipate or expect. You, you have a country in Israel that's under the authority of a conquering empire that is a military occupier. You have Rome, and Rome is occupying Israel. And Rome has allowed the elders of the people to have a hand in governing Israel. And Israel used to have a king. Even under Rome, they had their own king. Now, he was a puppet king. And if you're familiar with, with the Bible and the biblical story and the story of Jesus' birth, you may remember the last real king of Israel, the big bad king that tried to kill baby Jesus. His name was Herod. And when he died, Herod appointed his sons to rule. And they were really really corrupt, even more so than their dad was. And so Rome essentially said, forget this business. We're, we're not doing this anymore. And so they decided to ship one of their military leaders to Israel to rule it with an iron fist. And that individual's name was Pilate. Now, something that you need to know about Pilate and his position is 
that this isn't a position that he wanted. Pilate didn't want this position. He didn't want to be there. It's kind of like a general being assigned a position to, in a dusty backwater city in the middle of nowhere, full of people he doesn't like. And he's just waiting to get his promotion so that he can go back to Rome. The other thing you need to know about Pilate is that Pilate was, was not a good man. Everything that we know about Pilate is that he hated his job and that he really did not like the Jewish people. He made so many decisions that made the Jewish people angry that ancient history is filled with stories of all kinds of riots that were caused essentially by Pilate being a jerk. And then when the people would get upset or protest, he would send out soldiers and kill them. And so the people hated this man, and he pretty much hates the people as well. But for anything really significant to happen with Jesus, the Jewish leaders really needed to come to Pilate with this because they didn't have the authority to execute Jesus or to do anything like that on their own. They needed the Romans to do it. And so they have this sham of a trial before the Jewish leaders and Jesus is, of course, found guilty. And then they're going to bring Jesus to Pilate to dole out the justice. And and that's the scene we're walking to in Matthew chapter 27, starting in verse 1. It says this, Early in the morning, all the chief priests and the elders of the people made their plans to how, for how to have Jesus executed. So they bound him and led him away and handed him over to Pilate the governor. Now at this point in Matthew chapter 27, it takes a little bit of a diversion from this main story about Jesus. And, and Matthew shares with us the fate of Jesus' betrayer, of, of Judas. And it's actually an, an incredibly heartbreaking story. As we see the result of the lies of the enemy and what the enemy had convinced Judas that he was or, or wasn't doing. You see, Judas sees that Jesus is arrested and he sees that Jesus is, is going to be condemned and, and he's filled with grief. He's filled with sadness. He's filled with remorse. Somehow the enemy had convinced Judas that this wouldn't be the end result of his actions. But Judas sees the end result of his actions, being the arrest and the plan to execute Jesus. And that's not what he would have believed that he was doing. And it says that he's overcome with grief at what he's seeing to the point of taking his own life. And church, there, there's a, a lesson for us in here. This isn't the main thought for today, but I think it's important that we understand that the enemy wants to take you further than you ever wanted to go into places you never wanted to go. Judas didn't set out to have Jesus killed. In fact, we see here that when he discovers the end result of his reactions, he's so overcome with grief that he kills himself. But this is the power of the enemy. This is the power of the lies of the enemy, that he can have us believe that the choices we're making and the things we're doing, the compromises that we're taking, that they're not all bad, that they're not evil. And then, the, then we see the end result of them. And this is what Judas is dealing with, with here. But then we come to verse 11. 
And it says this, Meanwhile, Jesus stood before the governor, and the governor asked him, it's Pilate, Are you the king of the Jews? You have said so, Jesus replied. Now, I don't think in this verse Jesus is, is being snarky. I think that what Jesus is trying to, to express here is like, yes, I am. But what I mean by that is totally different than what you mean by that. I, I think that's basically what Jesus is trying to say. He's trying to say, you won't deny it. Or, or uh, you're saying it. I won't deny it. But at the same time, we have a very different understanding of what that means. Verse 12 when he was accused by the chief priests and the elders, he gave no answer. Then Pilate asked him, do you hear the testimony they're bringing against you? They're saying you're a terrorist, that, that you're going to blow up the temple, that, that you think you're the king of the Jews, and that you are somehow going to replace me around here. But Jesus made no reply, not even to a single charge. To the great amazement of the governor, Pilate is watching Jesus and, and his jaws on the floor. He's just amazed at what is taking place here. Verse 15 says, now it was the governor's custom at the festival to release a prisoner chosen by the crowd. So here's Pilate. He has all of these people and he needs to respond to them. And he doesn't, he doesn't really want another riot. Jerusalem is full of people. It's Passover. There's, there's a million people in, inside the city. And, and he's not looking for a riot that big. So what he decides is, is at some point he's made this decision that he would give amnesty to a criminal once a year. It, it, how about this? He, he offers them a concession. And, and so Pilate remembers this and he thinks, well, well maybe this, this could be a way out. Verse 16. At that time, they had a well-known prisoner whose name was... Now, now most of us, if, if we know the story, know the man's name that was presented here. And most of, us, most of us know it to be Barabbas, which really isn't how it was pronounced. It was Barabbas or, or something like that. But we'll go with Barabbas. That's okay. But Matthew gives us a bit more detail of, of the man's name. It's not just Barabbas, but Matthew tells us that his name was Jesus Barabbas. This man's name wasn't just Barabbas, but it, it was Jesus. Now, I think it's important that we dig into this just, just a little bit, because this is significant, and it's significant for us and in the context of the story. In Matthew, we're given the two names of Barabbas. Like, like my name is, is Brad Bristow. Now, now Jesus, or, or Yeshua, was, was about as common a name as John or Bob is today. But Matthew is highlighting for this that there are two Jesuses being put forward here. And one of them is, is Jesus Barabbas. And it's really ironic because when you look into the name Barabbas and what it means in Aramaic, what Barabbas translates out to is son of the father. When we think about when Jesus taught us to pray with the Lord's Prayer, the word that he taught us to call God was our Father, and the Aramaic word for that is Abba. And Bar means son. So Bar Abbas means son of the Father. That, that this is, is Jesus, son of the Father, is, is who's being presented here. So, so we have Jesus, son of the Father, who was a well-known criminal of the time, 
And we have Jesus, the one and only son of God the Father, who was well known, but not a criminal, although standing here like one. So verse 17, when the crowd gathered, Pilate asked them, which do you want me to release to you? Jesus Barabbas or Jesus of Nazareth, who was called the Messiah, for he knew it was out of self-interest that they had handed Jesus over to them. Pilate is sort of hoping that maybe their, their conscience will get the better of them. Here's the scene. Pilate is, is watching all of this goes down, and he can see the chief priests are seemingly out of line, and, and he really doesn't like them anyway. But he has to let them into his court. And he seems to be very impressed with Jesus. Jesus doesn't defend himself. He, he's not freaking out. He, he's not causing problems. He, he's not aggressive. He, he is just silent. And Pilate is, is really and truly impressed with Jesus. And so he thinks to himself, oh man, I've got this thing, this custom that I do with the feast each year. And, and this is maybe my chance to get this Jesus out of my hair. I, I don't want to deal with this. So he says, listen, I've got these two Jesuses that I want to let go to you. How about re releasing him? But the people say, no, we want the other Jesus. We want Jesus Barabbas. Now, Matthew tells us that, that he was a well-known prisoner. But he doesn't tell us what he's well-known for. But Mark does. In the Gospel of Mark, he tells us that Barabbas was in prison with a group of rebels. And, and he had committed murder in an uprising. Essentially, he was part of a Jewish freedom fighter movement. And he was a rebel against Rome. And he recently had been part of an uprising against Rome where someone had died because of him. Did he plunge a sword into a Roman soldier? Did he kill other Jews that, that maybe he thought were traitors? We, we don't know. We just know that someone died and that Barabbas killed him. And other than their shared first name, this is someone who couldn't be the more opposite of Jesus of Nazareth. This is a, this is a man, Jesus Barabbas, who could never understand turning the other cheek that refused to love thy neighbor, that could not bless and pray for his enemies, those Roman soldiers. We, if we remember back a, a, last week, in, in the Garden of Gethsemane, Peter cuts off the servant of the high priest's ear, and, and Jesus of Nazareth heals him and, and, fixes, and, and, and scalds Peter and says, you shouldn't do that. This is not my way, but this is the way of Jesus Barabbas. But then you have Jesus of Nazareth that, that represents the kingdom of God, the way of peace. And, and you have Jesus Barabbas who represents the kingdom of Israel, God and country, blood, death to Rome, the ways of this world. And now Pilate has now put this choice in front of the people. Then verse 19 gives us a really interesting interjection. It says, while Pilate was sitting on the judge's seat, his wife sent him this message don't have anything to do with this innocent man, for I have suffered a great deal today in a dream because of him. So now, now Pilate is in the no-winnest situation of no-win situations. He has an angry mob on one side and his wife on the other. 
And they're telling him to do opposite things. Now, now one piece of marriage advice that, that I will give to any married men watching today. No amount of an angry mob compares to an angry wife. But Pilate's wife is telling him, this is an innocent man. Don't do anything to him. Don't. He doesn't deserve to die. But the people are pressuring him, release this known criminal against Rome. Verse 20. But the chief priests and the, the elders persuaded the crowd to ask Barabbas to have, and to, for, to ask for Barabbas and to have Jesus executed. Which of the two do you want me to release to you? The governor asked the governor. Barabbas, they answered. What shall we do with Jesus who is called the Messiah, Pilate asked. And they all answered, crucify him. Verse 23, what? What, what crime has he committed, asked Pilate. But they shouted all the louder, crucify him. When, verse 24, when, when Pilate saw that he was getting nowhere, when Pilate was quickly realizing this this is turning into just another really bad day. And, and Pilate is, is wishing he, he's back in Rome again and, and instead of here in this mess. But instead, an, an uproar was starting up. A riot is starting again. He has another one of these stinking riots on his hands. And whenever riots start with Pilate, historically, these never have been good. So, so here's what he does. Just imagine for a second, there's this riot starting and Pilate is standing there with these two men. People are yelling, crucify him. And, and Pilate, it says, he, he took water and he washed his hands in front of the crowd. He's doing well. Take this piece of advice from Pilate. Wash your hands. But I am an innocent man of this, or I'm innocent of this man's blood. He said, it is your responsibility Verse 25, all the people answered, his blood is on us and on our children. Then verse 26, then he released Barabbas to them, but he had Jesus flogged and handed him over to be crucified. And that is the scene. It's, it's so powerful. Pilate is this conflicted individual. His, his conscience and his wife are clearly pointing him to the idea that Jesus is an innocent man. But then he has these other pressures, this crazed mob of people who want to see, who Pilate knows to be innocent. They want to see this man dead. And the leaders are the people who he doesn't like, but they're causing the people to be up in this frenzy. And ultimately, Pilate looks at this situation and he doesn't want to have to deal with another riot. He asks himself, is this Jesus of Nazareth really worth all of this? And ultimately... No. He, he decides Jesus isn't worth the hassle. And he stands up in front of people and he makes this declaration that is so hollow, it's almost comical. Because everyone standing, of everyone standing up in front of the people, there is only one innocent man. And it's not Pilate. It's Jesus. But Pilate has the gall to declare himself the innocent man. Pilate shows himself to be a selfish, selfish man. And he chooses death for Jesus 
Because ultimately choosing to side with Jesus is too much of a hassle. It's too much of a burden to bear. And this ultimately is at the end of things, and this is what I want to talk about this morning, ultimately at the end of things, this is a choice that we're all presented with so often. Each of us are presented in so many ways, so, er so very often the opportunity to choose Jesus, the opportunity to choose the kingdom of God, the opportunity to choose God's way, the opportunity to choose the way of peace or to choose the, or to choose the way of the world, to choose the way of convenience, to choose the easier way, to choose the way that seems to be the better way. Jesus will talk about this choice that we're all presented with earlier in Matthew, in Matthew chapter 7, when he will say in verse 13, wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction and many will enter through it. But small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life and only a few will find it. We're given two gates to choose from, two paths to choose from. And forgetting for a moment that it tells us where they're going to lead, ask yourself, which one would you choose? A wide, open, easily passable gate with a wide, open, easily passable road? Or a small, narrow, tough-to-get-through gate? And even tough-to-find gate and a narrow, tough, hard-to-find road? My... My wife's parents live in a small town in, in southwestern Saskatchewan. And when you drive there, if you use your GPS, you're, you're presented with two options out of a town called Maple Creek. There's two ways to get there. There's the main highway that you can take. And it's a, the main highway you can take. And, and then there's this dirt road. And the dirt road is bumpy and rough and it's tough to drive. But the dirt road is a much shorter drive. Do you know which road we take every time we go? The main highway. It's easier. It's safer. You can travel so much faster on it. And if you speed just a little, the time is, is pretty much the same. But this is something that we're each faced with. Standing before us as we walk through our lives is Jesus of Nazareth and Jesus Barabbas. And, and we are in the crowd. Do we choose the kingdom of heaven? Do we choose to be generous? Do we choose to be kind? Do we choose to love our neighbors even when they're jerks? Do we choose to turn the other cheek? Do we choose to live out our faith in tangible ways? Do we share our faith with other people because we believe that our faith is the answer to life and death? Do we choose to place other people and their needs above our own? Do we choose to live in hope, in joy, in peace, in patience because we know that these are the gifts from God? Or do I really need to get going? Do, do I really have other things that I need to do somewhere else that I need to be? Do, do I really think that maybe they deserved it? Do I, I really not want to help them, to be nice to them, to love them? I remember being a kid growing up in the church and, and hearing this story and, and thinking probably some of the same thoughts many of us have, have thought when, when we saw the disciples saying to Jesus last week that I will be with you and, and thinking to myself at these moments, man, 
If only I had been in the crowd that day. I could have turned the crowd. I would have stood up for Jesus. I would have been shouting, Jesus, Jesus, save him, save him. But the truth is that when I look at times how I choose to live my life, far too often I see myself choosing the wrong Jesus, choosing Jesus Barabbas, choosing the priorities and the desires of this world, choosing the easy way out, choosing the way that I want. In times like this, that, that we find ourselves in right now, this stressful, unique, never-been-seen-before time, I have a choice to put my hope and trust in God, or I have the choice to lose sleep over stress because of money, because I really don't know how long this church online model is sustainable. And what if we lose everyone? And I'm trying my best, and I don't know if that's good enough. And what if people are frustrated with me and frustrated with the church and, and trust, and, and I'm forced with this choice to trust either in the same promise that Jesus will build his church or to lose sleep. I cannot tell you how many sleepless nights I've had in the last couple weeks. Friends, we, we don't choose to shout crucify him. But sometimes, maybe more than we'd like to admit, we make the same kind of choice Pilate makes. We look at our circumstances and the situations that we find ourselves in, and we look at what it would take to choose Jesus of Nazareth, and, and we wash our hands and choose the other way. But it doesn't, it doesn't have to be this way. And to close off our time, I, I want to draw one last connection to a verse for you. You see, in these verses where we read where Jesus talks about which road to choose, he does give us some advice about which road to choose. He says at the beginning of this verse, these verses, he says, enter through the narrow gate. He, he tells us this is the choice you should make. There's two gates. One is big and wide and it looks good. The other is narrow and hard to find and hard to travel. But choose the hard one. But there is this other promise in Scripture that I want to read to you. And then we'll pray. But the problem with it, the narrow gate is that it looks harder. And in fact, it is harder. It doesn't look like the way we want our gate to look. Our perception, our experience, our understanding takes the other road and says, this is the one you should choose. But in Proverbs chapter three, it says this about when we put our trust in the Lord. It says, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will what? He will make your path straight. This, this hard, narrow, difficult path to travel, it looks, or this hard, narrow path, it's, the promise is that when we trust God and take that path, he will make that path straight. The wide, open path that looks inviting, it, it leads to death. The narrow path, the hard path, it leads to life. But more than the promise of life, if we choose to follow that path and place our trust in Jesus and our hope and replace our understanding with his, not only does that path lead to life, but suddenly it becomes straight. 
Thanks again for listening to one of the audio messages from Cornerstone Church Airdrie. I pray that you were blessed by what God had to say in this message. If you would like to connect further with Cornerstone Church, there are a couple places you can go. First is our website, cornerstonefoursquarechurch.com, and select the Airdrie campus. And some of the best ways to connect with us is through our social media channels. You can like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash cornerstoneairdrie. Follow us on Twitter at csairdrie. And on Instagram at cornerstoneairdrie. If you'd like to connect with the pastoral team at Cornerstone, you can do that again through our website, cornerstonefoursquarechurch.com. Click on the Airdrie campus, then click on the About Us on the main menu, and then one last click on Our Campus Pastors. You can also subscribe to our podcast on iTunes and get new messages delivered directly to you. We are so thankful to be able to share the gospel message of Jesus Christ with our community in Airdrie and with you today. At Cornerstone Church Airdrie, we are a family not by blood, but a family that's been bought by blood. And that family includes you. We follow Jesus together as family we go. Let the King of Glory